The scripture for today is Lamentations 3, 31 to 59. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head, and I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you, and you said, Do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. I want to tell you the story of uh, Dominique Moran. Uh, she's a young girl who uh, left Southern California and went to Wisconsin to go to school. She was in university, and so she was by herself, far away from family, and so she had to get an extra job to help pay for things. And so she got a job at a chain of restaurants in the United States that I would never recommend to anybody. It's called Chipotle. Don't go there. If you're ever in the States, Quadoba is much better. <laughs> We've got enough Americans here. I can make that joke. And so one night as she was working there at the counter, and what, 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 the, what they do is, is they make a, a burrito or a taco for you, much like Subway makes a sandwich. They have sandwich artists at Subway. I know some of you have been sandwich artists in your life. Uh, they have burrito and taco artists. And so she would make burritos or tacos or nachos for folks. There was a group of young men who came in, and uh, they, as they walked in, they all had their uh, phones, cameras, personal computers, those things that we carry around now that are so powerful, filming as they walked in. And from the back, you hear on the film, uh, the video, someone saying, oh, they're here again. So clearly they'd been in that place before, maybe not that night, but some other time. And they, they walk in and, and she says to them, and you see it on the video, you guys can't eat here until you show me that you have money. 
and one of them responds very quickly to her, what? Hard-working, decent man, can't get food wherever he wants, whenever he wants, you're just racist. There was an ongoing conversation that took place. Some was filmed, some wasn't. And then what ended up happening is they ended up leaving after there were two phone calls to police officers and disturbances. And that one, one of those people went and they put it online. Now, Dominique didn't think anything about it, and so she went to bed. But when she woke up in the morning and she turned back on her phone, she had hundreds of messages from her family and her friends calling to check to see if she was all right. Because the video was uploaded and got over a million views so quickly, and people began to call her racist and far worse about the things that she had said and done. In the article that I was reading about her story, a writer named Eric Kahn tells the story of another man who snapped a selfie of himself in the kids' section at Target here in Australia. And he happened to be standing next to a Darth Vader mask. And so it said, may the 4th be with you. I don't know if you know that May 4th is an event for Star Wars fans or not. And another woman actually saw him doing this, she says, and actually thought that he was taking pictures of her children. And so she snapped a photo of him and then posted it on Facebook in the hopes that this creep would be caught, as she put it. And very quickly, Facebook users started calling the man a pedophile. See, it didn't matter that he was snapping a selfie of himself for his own kids. He started to receive death threats. And the man's life was completely upended by the mistake, Cain says. But truth is unimportant in an online shame culture, Cain wrote. Because whoever is most outraged wins. He goes on to say it goes on and on. People are accused publicly, called out on social media, pictures are posted, rumors are circulated, jobs are lost, reputations are damaged. Sometimes the people being shamed are bad people, but always the shaming circumvents due process, precedes true justice, and serves mainly to inflate the sense of self-importance and the egos of those propagating the shame. We knew as we began this series that lament was a language that God gives us in order to engage in the despair and the destruction that is present in this world. The hurts that come to us either by those outside of ourselves or from our own actions and consequences. And that God in His infinite wisdom and love for us gave us a language in order to call out towards these things. We've talked about that lament leads us to trust a God who is for us and not against us. We've talked about how lament leads us to hope, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus came in order to bring us new things and create in us new ways of life. But I'll be honest with you. Lament also leads us to justice. And as we move into Sorry Day and Reconciliation Week, as we all sit here, 
I was very nervous about preaching this sermon. Because as shown by those stories, justice is defined broadly in each individual's life differently. And the danger for for someone to stand up and say, this is the definition of justice, is to have an automatic recoil towards that. So in my flesh, in my humanness, in my desire to be liked, and I know some of you are snickering to yourself because you know I don't normally care about those kind of things. To stand up and say, lament leads us to justice. And try and see what God is calling us to when we talk about justice can be frightening. But we can't get away from it. Because as we look at Scripture, we recognize that, in fact, while we lament, we need to move towards something. And not just trust, and not just hope. Because in a lot of ways, trust and hope are things that we receive. They're given to us as a gift. But God calls us to something out of our lament. You see, it goes like this. The first language of the church in a deeply broken world is not a strategy, but prayer. The journey of reconciliation is grounded in a call to see and encounter the rupture in this world so truthfully that we are literally slowed down by it. Recognizing that there is things that we cannot control, that there are things that have hurt so many people in our lives. When when we think about what this week represents and the idea of a stolen generation, we almost want to whisper it like we say those things that we don't want to speak about out loud. But lament says, no, you engage it fully. We are called to a space when we lament where an explanation or action is not too easy or too fast or too slow. A space where the right response can only be a desperate cry directed towards God. We're called to learn to anguish and lament. But because we know lament leads to truth and hope, we know lament is not about despair. It's not about whining. It's not a cry in the void of life into just openness, hoping that something happens. No, lament is a cry directed towards God. And so in that, those cries, we see the truth of the world's deep hurts and wounds and the cost that it will take us to seek for justice and peace. We have to recognize that. Jeremiah, who is the author of the book of Lamentations, wrote this in Jeremiah 9, verse 24. Thus says the Lord, we'll start in verse 23. Let not the wise man boast in wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, 
that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. For some of you that should sound awfully familiar. Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. It is five chapters. We've pulled out part of chapter 3 to look at today as we talk about what justice is. What's taken place is the destruction of Jerusalem that happened around 586 B.C. by the Babylonian government. They've come in and they've totally annihilated Jerusalem, torn it down. As a matter of fact, if you look at how Jeremiah explains it in chapter 1, starting in verse 1, he says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who has a great, was great among the nations, she who was the princess among the provinces, has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all of her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All of her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. That's the situation that we're looking at here. This call forth. And, and more than just the destruction of Jerusalem and Babylon, what we see is in the case of Israel, in the case of Jerusalem, it was their own actions that led them to this place. It was the consequence of them going to other gods and looking at other ways of not following way, the way that God had called them. So first of all, we need to recognize that a lament that leads to justice recognizes that in the world that has fallen apart, that that world falls apart in our own personal lives one of two ways. It falls apart by our own actions and our own consequences. That's what we see with Jerusalem. But it also recognizes that there is people who weren't part of that sinful nature. As a matter of fact, in Jerusalem, it was the leaders, it was the priests, it was the scribes, it was those who were in charge that had turned away from God. Probably among the inhabitants of Jerusalem were many who were still seeking God with their whole hearts, with their whole minds, with their whole lives. But because of the way that the leaders, those in power were acting, God brought judgment and punishment in order to correct them, but it affected adversely to the point of destruction all those who were present. So what we see first is that lament that leads to justice recognizes that there are those who are in power Power that are in systems that bring pain to those who are not because of sin. And we have to claim it and say it that way because that's what it is. But then in our own personal lives, there are times that we feel despair and destruction individually because of our own sin. But there's justice there too. So that's the first thing that we need to recognize when we come to this passage, is that's what's going on. So in chapter 3, he's talked about the destruction of Jerusalem. He's talked about how God has come for them. And then he continues to talk about how bad it is till he gets really to verse 22, which we didn't read. And he says, but then, and you remember that when we talk about laments, there is always a but then in our laments, right? There's a call towards God. There's our complaint. Then there is our asking questions, our request that we present. And then there is thankfulness or there is praise. There is the but then. 
So in verse 22, he says, the steadfast law of the Lord never ceases. And you go to 31, he says, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. Now the funny thing is, is then, <laughs> then after this, he gets a little morose again and a little sad and he laments a little bit longer to the end of the verse. But what we see here happening is a call towards justice. He's saying, look at us. You need to get these people out of our country. You need to allow us to become who we're supposed to be. We're now the oppressed. Raise us up to power again. That's not what God's going to do. So sometimes when we think about justice, we think about justice as this way. We've been put down, so now that we've been put down, we will now get flipped. And we will be the ones in power, and we can do what they've done to us. It's interesting, I have neighbors that are Baha'i, and one of the things that we talked about was their persecution that took place in Iraq, and I'm in Iran, in Persia. And the fact that as they were all leaving and fleeing, that one of the things that they talk about from the leaders of the Baha'i faith is this, that if we are ever in power, we cannot treat those who caused us harm the way they've treated us. The Commission on Truth and Reconciliation that took place in South Africa after apartheid was brought down was a call towards recognizing we don't just want retributive justice. We want transformational justice. So whereas Jeremiah was calling out saying, we need to get these people out of here, and at the heart of it is, and we want to be in power, we want to be, Jesus and God here say, no, there's something more for you. Restorative justice is this. It's developed on the idea of shalom or peace. It holds that justice is done only when the real harm to a victim or the social good is redeemed. It seeks to restore the victim to his or her situation before a crime and restore the perpetrator of that crime to their humanity. It goes beyond arguing that the response to an unjust act is punishment, a restoration of moral balance, rehabilitation, warning to others, or the prevention of more injustice. It seeks to restore the victim and the perpetrator and wider society to peace and shalom. So that means there's typically three things that have to happen with this type of justice. Ensuring accountability for crimes and atrocities, establishing truth, and fostering reconciliation. We see that happening here in this particular passage. We see what takes place is pretty amazing. If you go down... In verse 40, it says, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. 
We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the people. Boy, that last part's awfully scary, isn't it? Check that first part out, though. Jeremiah, writing Lamentations for Jerusalem, says we. This is not an individual book. This is a corporate book. Now, there are places where we must seek our own repentance. But we also must recognize that our sin that we do is not just individual. You see, we're so hyper-individualistic that we will do one of two things. All I've got to do is say I'm sorry and then I'm okay. And we'll move on. We won't think about that a person that we hurt or that we offended. When in fact, we do need to think about that person that we've hurt or offended. Because by not thinking about them, we've eliminated them from humanity. And in eliminating them from humanity in our minds, we ourselves have eliminated us. Because to be truly human, to be made in the image of God, is to be thinking of the other. And so when I am so myopically focused on myself, I lose my humanity. And when we commit atrocities and sins towards others, it's because I have relegated them as other or less than. And when I do that, I am no longer thinking like a human. Do you see how that destruction happens both ways? Don't get me wrong. It seems like it would be much easier to be the person in power not acting like a human than the person that's treating, right? Definitely. But the truth is that both have been destroyed. And so the first thing that we recognize in lament that leads to justice is that there must be confession. And it can't just be individual confession. It has to be a call that says there are systems and there are ways that we live and that we operate that cause pain and hurt and destruction. And I benefit or I am part of those things at the level and place that you are. Because without us doing that, often it's just like, can't we just get over it? Can't we just move on? And yes, we could. But in doing that, we don't grasp the full grace and mercy that God has for us to restore us to complete humanity and relationship with one another. Look, lament calls us to examine the work of reconciliation between those who live under suffering and with those who live under celebration. Both and, not either or. It challenges us because when we only live in a place of celebration, we quiet the calls of those who are in despair. That's the reason why lament leads to justice. It's only when we're lamenting that we see the need for justice. It's only when we recognize the despair that we recognize the need for hope. And so God calls us 
to that. So true justice and reconciliation requires a remembering of suffering, an unearthing of shameful histories, and a willingness to enter into lament by confession, what they did here. Let us test and examine our ways. We have transgressed and rebelled against you. I mentioned the Truth and Reconciliation Commission before. Did you know that that was set up in a way to do this? This was their mandate to achieve unity and moral acceptance, acceptable reconciliation. It is necessary that the truth about gross violations of human rights must be established by an official investigation unit using fair procedures, fully and unreservedly acknowledged by its perpetrators and made known to the public together with the identities of the planners, perpetrators, and victims. When they set out, they said this, we won't, don't want to ignore what happened to a thousand people who were victims of abuse under apartheid is to deny them their basic dignity. It is to get them, them to live as nameless victims with little or no chance to begin their lives over again. A young person who was tortured at the age of 16 when they went before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission said this after they had done it. When I have told stories of my life before, afterwards I'm crying, crying, and I felt it was not finished. This time, I know that what they've done to me will be among these people and all over our country. I still have some sort of crying, but also have joy inside. By the end of that commission, there were 21,000 people who came forward. Women, men, old and young. And there were 38,000 violations that they talked through. The interesting thing about it is the TRC also provided amnesty towards those who had done and perpetrated these atrocities. They received 7,100 and 12 applications for amnesty. And out of those 849 cases, amnesty was granted. But they had to stand up and they had to say what they had done. They had to take full acknowledgement of the things that they had perpetrated on them. Lament that leads to justice first moves us to confession. A place where we both individually and corporately and societally can say, we've done wrong. Maybe you're here and you've been hurt by a church before. Maybe you're here and because they didn't quite understand your questions or didn't know exactly what direction you were going or they had implied something about you by the way you looked or the way you acted and you felt ostracized, let me say to you, we are sorry. We confess that sometimes we put our own ideals above God's ideals. That sometimes we put our own identity and what we think is right over what God proclaims as right. And true. Please forgive us. We are sorry. Tim Keller in his book called Generous Justice says this, 
If we're going to try and live a life according to the Bible, the concept and call to justice is inescapable. We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. Doing justice includes not only righting of wrongs, but also generosity and social concern, especially those towards the poor and the vulnerable. The key is this, that when we lament, lament normally starts from a place of self-focus. I'm hurt. I've had problems. I'm in despair. But as we lament and we begin to see the God who is a God who loves us and what we read there in Jeremiah, a God who is about and boasts in his steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, then it moves our eyes off of ourselves and onto God. And when we see that God who is about his steadfast love and justice and righteousness, then it lowers our eyes down to those around us where we see that the world is in despair as well. And we are called to move into that place and say, how can I bring justice and righteousness to this place? Interestingly enough, justice and righteousness, those two words go together all the time in the Old Testament. This idea of right living doesn't quite hold all of what righteousness is. And justice is not something that is just about a court case and getting things right. Those words, actually, justice and righteousness, when they're brought together, they really hold on to the relational value that they have. That righteousness is really what it looks like to have a whole, truth, righteous, complete life with God in relationship. That he moves towards us to bring us to that place of righteousness. And by doing that, we live lives of righteousness because we're in relationship with him. The same is true with justice. Because we are in righteousness, we move towards justice, which is relational, that says, what do I need to do to restore you into right relationship? Maybe not with God, because they might be far beyond us in that, but with yourself and with others. You see, when injustice happens, it dehumanizes. And so it moves us to lament, to see God, to make people human again. And so we have to get rid of things that dehumanize people. We have to move away from things that do that. The key is this, that when we see justice, it moves us away from the third person into the first person. It's no longer them and they, but me. Who can move to the they and make them us. And so he calls out to God. He says we need to confess. But then he goes into his lament a little bit further and says all your enemies, they open their mouths against me. Panic and pitfalls have come upon me. Devastations and destruction. That's what we were talking about earlier, that lament doesn't make things fast. As a matter of fact, it slows things down. We don't like that. We like the easy fix. But when it comes to matter of justice... There is no easy fix. I was recently at a conference for the COC, and one of the things that was said was that the world is getting better. You might agree, you might disagree. 
But one of the comments that was made was that at some point there was a World Congress that got together and said, we're going to make um, poverty, not eliminate poverty, but we're going to help people get out of poverty. And they set a goal. And that within five years, before 2025, but within five years of setting that goal, they raised and, and got that goal hit. So they had lowered the amount of people that were under poverty by this much. One of my dear friends wanted to ask the question, and he did ask it, but we didn't get an answer. And he said to them, so when the people who did the commission and the study in the World Congress, who decided that this was their goal, are also the ones that define the level of what poverty is, how do we know that they didn't just lower the line of poverty so that less people fell underneath it? That's the thing. We don't. Except that we know that it takes time because God is in control and working it out to where it needs to go. Look, in the end, when we think about justice and we try to define it, uh, it becomes very difficult for us because each one of us come to it with some political point of view, some socioeconomic point of view, some family heritage point of view, some cultural identity point of view that comes to it. And so maybe the best way, the only way that we can define justice, and this is just Lee Hinkle's stab at it, by the way. is returning people to a loving, whole relationship with God, themselves, with all others, and the place they live. So we remove any distractions. We work to remove any impediments. We work hard to proclaim God's love and mercy. We call out unrighteous acts. We say, yes, a week of reconciliation is not enough. One day of saying, I'm sorry, is not enough. But that we don't just move on. We grab hold of it and we lament in it and we take the time that it takes to move forward together. Because that's the idea of Reconciliation Week. This week, by the way, which is called Grounded in the Truth and Walking in Courage. We're grounded in the truth of God's righteousness, His right relationship with each one of us. And that causes us to have courage to step into the place of hurting, of despair, because we've recognized it and we've called out and our focus has moved towards them. Andrew Hallworth is a guy that's Dominique's hero. You see, because what happened to Dominique was in fact that there was more to the story than just these young African-American mans coming in and accusing her of being racist and it blowing up. And Andrew lives in Texas. And he's a young African-American man who loves Twitter. That's scary. 
and the news. And he would just watch things all the time. And he saw this happening to this young girl. And the first thing that he noticed was the headlines were always saying, white racist woman or white racist something. Well, part of the problem is Dominique's not white. She's Mexican-American. So one, that's wrong. That doesn't mean that she couldn't have been oppressive. Definitely could have been oppressive. But then what he began to recognize is he started looking at the accounts of those other guys that were in the group with this young man who filmed. And then he started looking at their social accounts as well and investigating them. And come to find out that they had posted several videos of them dining and dashing from Chipotle and other places. That, so when they walked in the door and someone said they're here again, it wasn't about the color of their skin. It was the fact that they had stolen food from them previous times. As a matter of fact, three days earlier, they had gone in, purchased all sorts of food, put their credit card on there, and as it was getting declined, grabbed their food and ran out. They had joked about what they were going to do. They had talked about how they were going to steal food. And he found it out. So what did he do? He began to follow all of those men and he began to follow all the people. See, because by this point, in two days in, national media had picked up the story and talked about this white racist woman. But what he did is he said, well... Behind her are all African-American workers, and she's Mexican-American. And here's the complete story of what took place and happened. And he stood up for it. And he began to comment on everybody who would comment something negative and say, here are the facts, here's the reality, here's the truth. He became her hero because he went towards her in that. Her life's still a wreck. She had to leave school had to move back to California, had to take a different job, had to get a different university, and as a matter of fact, has decided I'm not going to do the degree I was seeking after. I'm going to do something else that's easier because I just can't be in public that often. But her name's been cleared. And she recognized on the street, not that way anymore. However, there are people who still want to take pictures of her when she's walking around. The thing is, is he went towards her and for her. The same that Jesus did for us. The difference is, we deserved it. See, Dominique really hadn't done anything wrong in that circumstance. But we, in fact, are those who cause injustice to ourselves and to others by our selfishness and desire to be the one. But the one who is mighty, the one who is king, came for us. And he brings justice. Justice by redeeming us with his steadfast love and mercy. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good and all you do is good. Let us sing that out loud today for you. Let us know that we are moved to justice because of your goodness and your steadfast love. Father, hold us, change us. If there is anything that I have said today that is not from you, let it burn up, let it keep away from our minds and hearts. 
Let it not take effect on us. But if there is anything that I've said that is good and from you, let it take root in our hearts and bear fruit to bring you glory and to change the world. Let us move towards justice. Let it roll down from the mountain.